this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. But the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. And if you want extra shows every week on Thursdays, we release member-only episodes on the website. So if that interests you and you want more of The Confessionals on a weekly basis, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com and sign up to become a member today. Now, we got Brad C. Hodson coming on the show this week. He is a horror author, and he comes on to talk about his own paranormal experiences that he's had. And then we talk about the paranormal itself and what he thinks about it, what I think about it. It was a very loose conversation today and I think you guys will really enjoy just kind of digging into the minds of myself and Brad as far as what is the paranormal what is reality and what is this all made of it was a really good conversation I'm really excited for you guys to hear it so without any further delay let's get to Brad right after this Thursday's member episode trailer let's go I was like 15 years old and my buddy was 14 and we uh, my friend was into NASA and I was kind of too I was kind of interested in it but he was really into NASA what I remember too is we were watching that movie Explorers yeah it was the scene where he goes up on the roof and he's laying on the roof watching the stars and my buddy said let's do that you know he said why don't we just sneak out the window and lay in your backyard and I'm like okay let's do it we gotta be quiet so we snuck out the backyard and we had a little CD player that was playing the soundtrack to the Explorers. <laughs> and we had some snacks, and he had a flashlight, a big 
you know, one of those square-looking flashlights and use those square batteries. He had one of those, so we snuck out the window and we laid there for a while. And we were counting all the shooting stars and we would write them down and then we'd see a satellite and we would write down what time we saw it and everything. Oh, geez, this is crazy. But uh, I think it was around 12.56. Yeah, I have it written down. 12.56 we saw a shooting star go across the sky and he was starting to write it down. And then he started telling me about how the light from the city and the towns makes the stars a little dim and you can't really see it. So he grabbed the flashlight and he shined it up in the sky. And as he shined it up in the sky, this ginormous like rectangle UFO with no sound whatsoever started going over the top of us real slowly. And it was like completely quiet. And even the sounds around us were quiet. Like I couldn't even hear the traffic anymore. It was like weird. It was silent and it was just going across. It didn't look real. It looked like it was like an image projected. Like we were thinking that the flashlight did it, but there's no way the flashlight can do a triangle ship with so much detail. You know, with all the like, he saw like pipes and stuff connected. Really? Like all these weird pipes. I didn't see the pipes. I was focusing on these three. Each corner had a glowing donut shaped center. And then in the center of that glowing donut, there was this weird like mist, like faint mist coming out of it. And I was focusing on that because the blue light was so. a light that I've never seen before. And as it goes across the sky, it probably took about six seconds to go all the way over us. And, you know, and it's like, what the hell is that? And I kind of still watched it. And as it was going away, it faded. Like, it just, like, vanished. All right, today we got Brad C. Hodson on the line. Brad, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. It's a great weekend so far. How about you? Uh, doing great, man. So uh, I don't really quite understand how we got connected. All I know is that we were supposed to do an interview a couple of weeks ago. I called you and you weren't expecting me to call. You had no idea who I, <laughs> who I was. And <laughs> I have no idea how this interview got scheduled on my calendar, but I have your phone number, your email, your name, everything. and. Uh, <laughs> We had to reschedule it, but here we are, man, getting this thing done. I'm actually really excited to talk to you because you're a horror author, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I've been writing uh, writing professionally for about 10 years now. So that's really... I find it interesting. And maybe you know, two months ago, I wouldn't have been in this state of mind that I am in now. But recently, I've been actually personally thinking, you know, with all the stories that people tell me on my show of their paranormal experiences, you know, all this stuff, I started thinking, I wonder if I sat down to try writing, you know, fictional stories, like horror stories, if I'd be any good at it. And that's why, like, when I saw that, you know, I had this interview with you, I was really excited to talk to another author that actually does this for a living. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, you've worked with, you know, a lot of different authors and stuff. And one of the authors that uh, you mentioned to me that you work with is somebody that I just came across recently. And, and I really enjoy his work, which is uh, Paul or Chuck Polinick. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Polinick? Uh, Polinick. Yeah. Polinick. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's fantastic. I've been lucky enough to be in a couple of anthologies alongside him, and um, you know, met him on a couple of occasions and sat down and talked. And um, yeah, he's just a, a great guy with some crazy stories, yeah. <laughs> as you can imagine, if you've gotten into his books. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I haven't even scratched the surface on his his work, but uh, I, I'm very fascinated. And I found out about him through uh, the Joe Rogan interview that Joe did with him recently. And uh, I was just when I heard him talking about his books and just th- the guy just is a, a very different kind of guy. So uh, I that kind of started, you know, me thinking about different things. And then I saw you worked with him. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Uh, but some of the stuff that you have coming out, I wanted to kind of get off to the side before we get into some of your experiences. Uh, in October, you have uh, some stuff dropping. What is that? Yeah, so I have my uh, <clears throat> my first collection of short fiction. Um, it's titled Where Carrying Gods Dance. And it's about 75% um, previously published uh, short stories, and then a few new ones that I've thrown in. But uh, I'm really excited. I've been you know, publishing short fiction for a long time. And have I don't know why I just never considered putting a collection together of my own fiction, but uh, um, you know it's a lot of the fiction that I've had published in books alongside folks like Polynuck and um, Neil Gaiman, George R. R. Martin, and uh, you know I've been pretty lucky uh, in that regard, and so I finally decided to pull it all together and uh, release a collection. It's mostly <clears throat> horror stories. Uh, there's a couple of curveballs in there too uh, i've got a comedic story and um things that uh are uh, are less horrific but uh but for the most part it's a a great little slice of halloween um atmosphere i suppose <laughs> yeah well i mean that obviously would be a great uh environment for our audience to tune into because you know the audience is all about you know scary stories and things like that uh and you also you also wrote a book though a novel called darling right and that i think i saw on your website that's actually being turned into a motion picture yeah yeah that's been um it's been in development for a few years and uh funding last I heard was, uh, just finalized. Um, it's in a casting phase, the script's going out to actors. Um, I saw a, uh, a list of some of the actors and I don't want to mention them because, you know, it can all fall apart, but sure. it was definitely one of those where I was like, Oh wow, I'm excited just for this person <laughs> to read this. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, darling was, um, uh, my first novel. It's, um, kind of my take on uh haunted house story uh takes place in my hometown of uh knoxville tennessee which east tennessee is just rife with ghost stories and creepy folklore and so growing up i always wanted to do something with that and so darling was kind of born out of that and luckily the director uh banner gwen he's uh he's also from that area so he has a nice kind of feel for what inspired the book and um uh, i think you'll be able to bring a lot of that to the film adaptation well that's really cool uh is darling something that you know has anything to do with your personal experiences as a kid growing up though in in the haunted house uh you know a, a little bit um there's a lot of so j- to give you a very quick biography of myself <laughs> uh so my mother died 
about a month after I was born from complications with my birth. And uh, my uh, father watched her die and kind of went off the deep end. He ended up in prison, you know, very kind of Faulkner-esque story to my uh, my background. So my grandparents raised me and, you know, they were older. They grew up during the Depression in Appalachia. And um, just I don't think we're at all equipped to deal with this situation. And so it was a big wound that was kind of on my family's life. And, um, and so that was just something I kind of grew up with was how the, the death of someone can, can so strongly impact those around them for decades. And so that was a big piece of, of darling. But the other piece was not only some of the creepy stuff I experienced, but my grandmother, um, again, grew up in, you know, what they called the hollow, the hollow holler, depending on where you're from. Yeah. Um, you know, just like backwoods Appalachia. (laughs) And she had a ton of weird, creepy ghost stories. Um, some of which I, I remember vividly things that she heard and then things that supposedly happened to her and her sisters, uh, growing up. So kind of all that environment swirled together and became darling. Well, that's really interesting because, I mean, I guess there are times that, you know, people have experiences in life that kind of help and shape and mold their character, but also it can also shape and mold a book that they write as well. So uh, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> so you're in East Texas or East Tennessee, I should say, when you're a kid and in the house you were living in, it was, for lack of better words, it was haunted, I guess, right? There were a lot of weird experiences and it's one of those things as an adult, I kind of look back on them and I can tend to be dismissive of them. Cause I'm like, well, I was a kid. I had no idea what was going on. And you know, there may have been a problem with the plumbing, et cetera, <laughs> you know, that I wasn't aware yeah. of at the time. But, um, my, uh, my grandmother again, swore that the house was haunted. There was one story I remember that I always found creepy where she had stayed up late watching television And everyone else was in bed and she turned off all the lights and was walking down the dark hall to get to her bedroom and ran into a person. Wow. And the the person grabbed her by the shoulder and she reached over and flicked the light on the hall and no one was in the hallway with her. Um, And then for me as a kid, uh, just a lot of weird, it was a two story house. And I think when I was around 12, I moved my bedroom into the downstairs area. And, uh, so I'd be like playing video games or whatnot. And I'd hear footsteps marching around upstairs and doors slamming. And, you know, I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to go upstairs and see what's going on. I go upstairs and nobody was home. They'd gone to the grocery store (laughs) and, uh, yeah. Would hear, uh, sometimes, um, somebody call my name again. I'd be downstairs. Only person at home. And I would hear what sounded like my grandmother yell down the stairs, Bradley. And I'd yell up, what? And there's no answer. I'd go upstairs. Nobody else was home. Um, those things creep me out. <laughs> oh, yeah. And again, as an adult, I try to be like, well, maybe that's some kind of psychological phenomenon that we're not aware of, where you sometimes hear your name called. And, you know, that gives me some comfort during the day. And then at night when I'm sitting by myself, I'm like, no, I don't think that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I I can understand, you know, the idea of trying to pass things off and stuff and trying to figure out what naturally could have been. I mean, I've had things happen to me in my life where I I, I lay there in my bed and I'm like, what could that have been other than, you know, a ghost or something like that? Because I just want to find a natural explanation for it. Uh, when, When you were an adult, though, you worked a graveyard shift and that graveyard shift was in a building that was, I guess, known to be haunted. And you had, when I read this experience, I was like, wow, that's kind of eerie. You had an experience there. Yeah, this this is basically like a Twilight Zone episode. And I've actually thought this is, this happened over 10 years ago. And I've constantly been like, I want to write about this someday. And I just haven't figured out the right angle into it to make it a fiction, uh, you know, a fictional story. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it was the old... Um, it was, it was a uh, post-production facility called uh, Intersound. This is, I live in Los Angeles now. And uh, so it was down off Santa Monica Boulevard. And um, it was in the old EMI Records building where like Joplin and the Doors recorded back in the day. And uh, everybody there said the place was haunted. Um, but nobody had their own story. It was always like, oh, this guy who used to work here had this happen to him. And so I never thought anything of it. And I would pick up um, uh, some extra money working security there over the weekends. And um, so there was this one, this one Saturday where I was there and it'd be 12 hour shifts. And I was in the building all by myself, buildings locked up, had alarms on it. I'm basically there to answer the phone, take messages and, make sure nobody breaks in because there's a lot of expensive equipment. And uh, I've been doing this for months and it was a creepy place when nobody else was there. Um, Especially if you went into the areas where they recorded uh, audio because everything was soundproofed. And so as soon as you walk in the, the environment just shifts and you feel like a difference in the air pressure and, you know, even the sound of your breath is being absorbed by the walls. So it was very, put you off kilter yes. immediately when you walked in. And, uh, but I'd been doing it for months. Nothing weird happened. Had stopped even thinking of the ghost stories. And then this one day I'm sitting at the front desk and the phone rings and I answer it and nobody's on the, the other line. And I look down at the switchboard and it says the call is coming from the machine room inside of the building. <laughs> And so my first thought is that somebody's broken in. So I grabbed this big mag light and it's three foot long steel thing that you crack somebody's head open with. And I go search the building. I go into that room. I go into all the other rooms, look around. Nobody's in the building. Check all the doors. They're all locked. The alarms are armed. There's nobody in this building. No way someone could have gotten in and out of the building. So I kind of chalk it up to a fluke, like maybe something's wrong with the phone system. And I go back to the front desk and I'm sitting there and it's about 20, 30 minutes later, the phone rings again. This time it's coming from uh, a break room that's right next to that machine room. I punch it up on the security monitor. Nobody's there. I go make my rounds again. Don't find any sign of anyone. Doors are locked. Alarms are armed. This keeps going on through the course of my 12 hour shift that day every like 30 minutes or so the phone will ring it's from a different room in the building and i go check and there's absolutely no sign that anybody could have gotten in and again 
when the, as soon as these phone calls are made, I'm punching up the rooms on the security monitor too, where oftentimes I can see the phone and there's nobody in that room. So I don't know what's going on at this point. I'm creeped out. At the same time, I'm like, it's, it's just got to be a problem with the phone system. Something weird with the phone system happening. But it keeps keeps happening throughout my shift. And every call gets closer and closer to the lobby where I'm at. So finally, it's about 30 minutes before my shift's over. And, um, and another security guard's going to come in and relieve me. And I get the final call. And this call's coming from uh, the client phone which is in the lobby about 10 feet from where I'm sitting. I can see the phone. There's nobody here. <laughs> I'm the only one in this room when I get this final phone call. So I'm thoroughly creeped out at this point. The, my relief comes to pick up the, the next shift. I still don't quite know what is, what's happened. So I don't completely go into it with him, but I'm just like, Hey, there's something weird going on with the phones. So the phone may ring a bunch. Um, and I'm not really sure what it is and just kind of leave it at that. I go home, get some sleep, come back 12 hours later to relieve him for my next shift. And when I walk in, uh, the first thing I ask is, uh, so how many times did the phone ring last night? And, uh, he says, none, didn't ring once. So whatever happened, <laughs> was only happening to me. And as soon as I left, it stopped. And uh, so that was my, my one creepy experience in that building. Yeah. And, you know, I can't, can't definitively say it was a ghost, but I don't know what else it is. It could be yeah. either. So. <laughs> I mean, there's something, I mean, that, that's gotta be creepy. I mean, anybody going through that would be creeped out, especially it seems like it's getting closer and closer. It, what you need to do is you need to make this your next book because <laughs> it really could be, you know, a storyline in there for a book. Uh, very interesting. And what do you think all this kind of stuff is? I mean, I know you mentioned to me also in the interview or the email that you had seen an apparition in a medieval tower. Uh, what do you think that is? Yeah. So it's actually funny. Like I, I consider myself a skeptic and 90% of the ghost stories I hear, I'm like, Oh, okay. Well that was sleep paralysis or whatever. You know, I find yeah. some explanation, but for somebody who does that, I have a lot of weird ghost stories. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we were in, uh, we were in Naples, Italy in 2008, my wife and I, and we had spent the day in Pompeii and we came back to the bed and breakfast we were at, which was in, in the top of this like 15th century, medieval tower and we're the only ones there and we're out on the patio watching the sunset having some wine you know nice nice romantic evening um nothing creepy nothing that would put you in the mind for ghost stories in any way shape or form and i'm sitting there and talking to her and the way i'm sitting i can see behind her into the double doors that open into the bed and breakfast living room and it's dark the lights are off there's a bit of wall and then another door that opens into the kitchen and the lights on in the kitchen. And while I'm talking to her, um, the living room's huge. I see a man in kind of like a white blousy kind of shirt. Um, something you'd see like guys wear on the beach in 1980s music videos, like very Duran Duran. <laughs> and, uh, 
um, white pants, walks through the room. And I, I can vividly see him still. He was about six feet tall, kind of uh, bronze skin, black hair, wearing all white. And he just walks through the room and my wife's telling me something and I'm watching this guy walk and I'm thinking, Oh, I wonder who came home to the bed and breakfast because we'd met some of the other people staying there. And he walks past the wall um, to where the only place he could go is into the kitchen. And so I turn my gaze to the kitchen door to see who steps in and nobody steps in. And I'm like, that's weird. And so I get up and I poke my head into the living room just to see who walked in and the lights come on. They were on a motion detector, but they didn't come on when this guy walked through the room. And I didn't even think the word ghost for about 10 minutes. Uh, my wife tells the story much funnier than I do because I'm like <laughs> suddenly freaking out. I'm like, where'd the guy go? Where'd the guy go? And I'm looking around for you know whoever I saw walking in the room because I didn't, in my mind, I didn't see a ghost. I just saw a guy walk through the room and then he disappeared. And then about 10 minutes later, I was like, did I see a ghost? <laughs> Did I just see an apparition? <laughs> so that was a, uh, that was definitely a strange experience. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as a skeptic, as somebody who tends to be more skeptical of these kind of things and, but also have had your experiences, uh, how do you explain these kind of things? I mean, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it because I mean, you write, you know, horror kind of things. And so you do spend some time thinking about, you know, this, the idea of life being scary, you know, and, uh, I'm just interested to hear what your thoughts are on some of these experiences that people have. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of theories that, um, that sound good, you know, whether you're talking about, uh, electromagnetic energy causing hallucinations and feelings being watched or uh, infrasound. Um, there's some solid research there that's creating the feelings people associate with a haunting. But there's no one there's no one scientific theory that encompasses all the types of haunting experiences that people claim to have. Um, you get into a kind of you get into an area where I think there, there are multiple things going on with a lot of ghost stories. I think there are, you know, whether it's electromagnetic energy, infrasound, um, psychological phenomenon. You know, like I, I, I was saying, hearing my name being called a lot as a child, and I always wonder if that was just some kind of psychological or neurological thing that we're not aware of, you know, where you're predisposed to hearing your own name. Um, things like this, but I will say that even when I, when I'm being skeptical and I look at a lot of these stories, read a lot of these stories and I start saying, oh, well, that was probably this, or that was probably that, or, you know, they're misinterpreting this natural phenomenon, et cetera. That still doesn't account for everything. There are, there's just enough room left for doubt just enough stories that don't fit those molds that it leaves me wondering and you know again with my own stories like i could i could say for instance the the phone calls uh that night that there was just some kind of quirk in the system it was rebooting itself or whatever and that's why the calls were occurring room to room doesn't explain why it ended when i left could just be coincidence you know but even with that, if I try to apply that same logic 
to seeing the apparition in Naples, the he would have had to have been a hallucination. Um, but there's no, there was nothing happening that would have caused me to hallucinate. I haven't had hallucinations before or since. So there's no, there's no logical basis for that being a hallucination. So I'm only left in that, in, in that case, for instance, with being like, I saw somebody, <laughs> you know, yeah. what the implication of that is, whether it's a ghost, whether, you know, somebody else staying at the bed and breakfast was practicing their illusion routine. <laughs> you know, I don't know, <laughs> but I saw someone, you know, I'm a hundred percent confident in that. Um, and there are other like w- weird little experiences I've had too, that again, just leave the, leave a bit of doubt that house I grew up in my, uh, my grandparents eventually moved out and, you know, I was like 18. And so, um, I rented it for a couple of years, had some friends move in. And, uh, there was this one winter where I was there with my friend Keith and we're sitting on the couches in the living room, chatting about something. Um, this uh, blizzard had blown in, knocked all the power out. Um, so we had no power. I think we're making a pot of chili in the fireplace (laughs) to eat. Um, And uh, we heard somebody open the kitchen cabinets, rummage around in the dishes, and then close the cabinets. We're the only people home. And we looked around the house and nobody was there. And that was an experience I shared with somebody else. We both heard that. So again, I'm left with the question of like, well, what was it? It couldn't have been a hallucination because we shared it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I, you know, I look at a lot of different things. I mean, I have people on the show that have had many different types of experiences. We cover a lot of different stuff on the show. And, uh, you know, some of it is just, you know, your traditional simple hauntings and some of it's more extreme. And the more extreme it gets, the harder it is for, you know, people to fathom and let alone believe. Uh, but when I when I sit back and I start thinking about things, one of the things that I've been hearing more and more about recently over the last couple of years, and I don't understand it at all completely, even remotely, but um, the idea of quantum physics and how that might possibly explain some of the paranormal experiences that people are having. Uh, when I hear somebody talking about uh, quantum physics, it really sounds paranormal to me (laughs) because it's such a strange type of physics that they're just now starting to scratch the surface on. But uh, And I I couldn't even go into describing exactly what they're saying happens. But uh, basically, things that should be predictable aren't able to be predicted on a quantum level. And uh, I, I wonder if you know, 10, 15, 20, 50 years down the road, if we'll be looking back and saying quantum physics explains a lot of these paranormal type events people are having. I, but even at that, I don't know if it will explain everything that people have had. Uh, it, it's just a very interesting route of thinking that I've been thinking on recently. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. But um, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting because when you're, you know, when you're like tourists like us, like, you know, obviously I'm not a physicist. Um, you come across a lot of things like, uh, Einstein's spooky, uh, action at a distance. Um, for instance, where, uh, two, and I'm probably totally butchering this and somebody who's a physicist is going to comment on this <laughs> episode and be like, that guy's an idiot. Um, but you know, two particles, uh, that are linked, but can be millions of miles away from each other. If you affect one particle, you turn it clockwise. The other particle will still have that effect, yeah. even though in space they're not touching each other 
so quantum physics brings up a lot of weird areas. Um, I have seen some, um, some people who know more about that than I do, um, kind of refute that that could explain hauntings. But I think what we, I think one of the problems with that is that there's a lot of cultural baggage with hauntings. And if you're talking about, you know, a ghost being the spirit of a dead person, that's, that's something that's been brought up in every culture since the beginning of time. I mean, you can go back to the Odyssey and, um, you know, when Odysseus is having to, to feed blood to the spirits in order to, for them to speak to him, right. you know, every culture on the face of the earth from the beginning of time has had ghost stories, uh, which to me is one of the things that also lends credence to there being something behind it. Again, whether that's a scientific or psychological phenomenon or something else, um, that it's not just people making it up. It's, it's not lies. You know, I think that's an easy, an easy way to just dismiss it. And that's not to say some people don't do that, but you know, if every culture on the face of the earth throughout time immemorial have had these stories and they're all similar in a way that you don't get with say leprechauns, which are a purely Irish phenomenon or the Penangolin, which is a purely Southeast Asian phenomenon. These are things that are in their folklore that you don't find in the folklore of other people, but they all talk about ghosts and hauntings. Um, now that's a long winded way to say, not only do I think something is going on there, but that's how we are culturally conditioned to view whatever this activity is that we're experiencing, whatever these anomalies are. And so I think there is a possibility that science might one day explain it. And it might not be anything even remotely similar to how we view it. Um, and I find that really fascinating. I mean, you think of something like, uh, the radio, you know, radio waves existed since the big bang, but until Marconi built a radio, no one was able to pick them up. No one was able to listen to them. No one was able to, uh, um, transmit messages until Marconi created the radio. And so I always wonder, is, is that what some of this is? Is there some, you know, equivalent to radio waves that we don't know about yet because we haven't been able to develop the technology to detect them? Yeah. And, you know, it's even like with technology itself. I mean, if you were to be able to travel back in time to, let's just say, 1650 and you pull out your iPhone, uh, that would be witchcraft back then. You know, that would be paranormal witchcraft. Yeah. And you'd get probably burned at the stakes for. And now we just call it science, you know? Yeah. I think uh, Arthur C. Clarke had that famous quote that, uh, again, I'm probably butchering this, but um, any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. (laughs) Um, And I think think that holds true. Um, That, you know, whatever is behind these things, again, I think there's probably dozens of reasons. I think whatever, if there's, if there's a scientific explanation we can find one day, each one of the ghost stories I've told you I've experienced probably has a different reason behind it. It's not the one thing that caused all of them. Um, but as a horror writer and somebody who likes stories and somebody who likes mystery and someone who likes to creep himself out at night, I also don't want to completely discount the possibility that there is some kind of intelligence 
um, <laughs> you know, right. uh, creep, creeping in on me at night. And, uh, you know, that's fantastic thinking. It's magical thinking, but, uh, uh, no matter how skeptical I try to be, I, I can't rid myself of that, whether it's comforting or it's just that I like the, the chill of the unknown. I don't know, but that's, that's always going to be a part of my brain. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm very much, I mean, I, I'm unapologetic as to my levels of belief. I mean, I very much believe that paranormal stuff, it really happens. It really goes on. Uh, what it is, we don't know. I don't know. And uh, that's why I try to stay neutral on it. I mean, I have my thoughts and opinions on things, but uh, at the end of the day, I put my head down on my pillow and I believe that people are experiencing these crazy things. What it is, I don't know. Uh, but it's it's very fascinating. And uh, I, I like that quote you mentioned earlier. It's very true. Um, you know, it, it's just one of those things where we live in a world where, uh, there's a lot of oddities and, uh, just because we can't explain something doesn't mean it's not happening around us. Uh, and right. And it doesn't mean that it's happening the way we think we do. True. And that's, that's again, I think, I think an easy go to, and this is where I kind of, I'm a jerk to both believers and skeptics, I guess. <laughs> is, um, uh, it's, it's easy to discount people's stories of hauntings with, with just a blanket, like, oh, they're making it up. It's their imagination run wild. But so many of the stories don't fit that mold. And then a- another argument that constantly gets made is, oh, well, it's one person in a dark room experiencing it. How can we know it? But there's so many stories that have been verified. I mean, you know, uh, experiences that, you know, a dozen people have had at once. Uh, there's one in Chicago. I forget the details. I think it was in the sixties maybe, but where an entire tour group of like 20 people uh, supposedly saw this apparition. And again, that doesn't mean it's a spirit of the dead, but there's something happening there when that many people experience something at the same time. Um, another weird story I'll tell you is, um, this is the one, one weird experience my wife has had. We were on our honeymoon in Key West and, um, we're, going on we went on like the ghost tour at night and it's hot it's sweltering and we went to a few places and we go to this one shop where um you know they have a ghost story about an apparition that's seen there but it's supposedly tied to this door that they have that's you know this like 600 pound oak door that the shop owner bought from a uh, castle that had been demolished in england um actually i think the castle burnt down that 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 was it. Um, but they bought this door, had it flown over and, uh, uh, placed on the door of the shop. So we get there and again, it's just sweltering out. My wife starts to feel really sick. She's like, I don't, I don't know if I can keep the tour going. I'm hot. I'm nauseated. I'm feeling vertigo. So we sat down for a minute until it passes. And then we pick back up with the tour group and then she's fine. Once we get away from that shop. So, um, the tour is over and we don't mention it. The tour group is big enough that the tour guide, I don't even think saw us. Um, the tour is over. I walk up to the tour guide and I'm like, have you guys experienced anything? Just wanting their creepy stories. And then he goes, hey, yeah, you remember that shop that had the door? We sometimes get a lot of people there who start getting sick. And they feel hot. It's as though they're they're like inhaling smoke, trapped in a fire, kind of the same symptoms. And he's like, you know, a couple of our tour guides experienced that too. And I was like, oh, 
that's what happened to my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Again, not, not even occurring to me that there might've been some kind of, you know, ghost, ghost story there, um, creating the symptoms just like, Oh, she's hot. And she sat down, which could have been the case, but it was so strange to me that she had a weird experience that was then verified by the tour guide and supposedly dozens of people had experienced and we didn't know about it beforehand. Right. Um, and those are again, the kinds of things where it's like, that wasn't our imagination. It wasn't my wife's imagination. <laughs> it could have been just, you know, she was too hot and she needed to drink more water. I don't know, but it again, leaves, leaves the right amount of doubt. Like that wasn't one person alone in bed creeping themselves out <laughs> you know yeah. there's there's enough verification there that you know the the odds of something having occurred go up there's a lot of people who have had experiences paranormal wise uh what and i'm not even just talking about you know ghostly stuff we're talking about ufos and things like that like there's a lot of people who have had these experiences that have had multiple people experience it with them. And that's got to be at least comforting for them to know that they're not totally crazy because they know that there's other people confirming what they saw. Uh, for the people who are, you know, experiencing something crazy and they don't have that person that experienced it with them, uh, you know, it's one of those things where when you relay those stories to people, you're now leaving your experience in the hands of the people you just told it to for them to judge you, whether they think you're crazy, if they believe you or what. And that can be something that's hard for people to open up themselves vulnerable wise to those kind of things. Uh, And I always tell people like, I really believe that if you have uh, an atheist sitting in, in a room and a theist sitting in a room, somebody who does believe in God, and they both experience a paranormal the same paranormal experience at the same time together those two people are going to walk out of that room explaining what they experienced very differently because they have different yeah. worldviews going into that experience that's going to help uh contribute to how they view their own experience how they make sense of it and how they relay it to other people and so when they relay that to other people they're going to relay it totally differently from one another because they believe certain things that are totally different going into that experience and that's why i, I really try to keep an open mind to people as to when people are telling me things because i have my own worldview that i view the world in and that does shape and mold how I listen to people's experiences, but it also would sh- for them, it shapes and molds how they tell their experiences. And so that's why I try to keep a very open mind when it comes to all these different things people have going on. Yeah. I mean, there's no, that, that type of cultural baggage, again, when you, when you bring it into one of these stories, um, it could lead you in a dozen directions and might be completely off the mark. Um, but again, when it, when it's the shared experiences, it's incredibly hard to just completely discount it. I mean, even like you said, even a, uh, a diehard, uh, skeptic atheist doesn't believe there's anything behind these could experience something and just, just say, well, I obviously suffered sleep paralysis last night. Maybe I should go to my doctor. <laughs> um, but you know, there's a theory, uh, I've always liked, um, it's, it's named after a made-for-TV British movie from the 70s called uh, The Stone Tape, but the theory is called The Stone Tape Theory. And the idea is, you know, a lot of, a lot of ghost hunters and, you know, et cetera, they claim that there's fluctuations in electromagnetic fields uh, where there's a haunting. And what The Stone Tape Theory posits is, um, you know, old, 
older recording mediums, VHS tapes, cassettes, etc., they used magnetic tape to record audio and video. And the magnetism is what imprints that on the tape and is how you play it back. And so as the stone tape theory goes, is that there's uh, types of environments and certain conditions that we're not yet aware of to where the environment can actually record things that are happening in in it and then somehow play those back. Um, I've always found that fascinating too, whether that's true or not. You know, if you want to get into um, seeing apparitions or hearing noises and, and again, these shared things, it's a very fascinating idea. Um, I have a, uh, I recently sold a screenplay kind of based on the, the same idea, but of course I take that in a direction where it's like, they're sure that's what's going on. They create a, uh, a device to allow them to play it back. And then it ends up like, Oh no, we're wrong. We've actually punched a hole into you know, the other world and spirits are coming through. Because <laughs> again, I just can't leave that to the side. The company Volkswagen sells more sausages than cars. When zebras are running away from lions, they fart loudly with every stride. There are whales alive today who were alive before Moby Dick was ever even written. I spit my last breath at thee! Why am I talking to you about these random facts? Well, these are some random facts that are covered on a podcast I recently discovered called No Such Thing as Fish. It's one of Britain's biggest podcasts, and the podcast has been running for more than five years and is a spinoff of the BBC TV comedy show QI, which has been shown in the US on BritBox and Hulu. Dan, James, Anna, and Andy started out as researchers and writers for that program, uncovering funny, amazing, bizarre facts that comedians could talk about. Now, each week, these four people present their favorite facts they found in the last seven days and all discuss and riff off each other's discoveries, throwing in their own related facts and jokes. I'm telling you guys, this is a show that I have literally put in part of my rotation now because my job is stressful, my job is lonely, and these guys make me laugh and educate me at the same time. And really, that's something that you can't beat. I really enjoyed this show, No Such Thing as Fish, and I highly recommend you guys check it out. Just give it one episode. All you need to do is give it one episode, and I'm telling you, you're going to be hooked. Check them out right after this episode ends, and you can listen to them on any of your favorite podcast players, such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We talk about a lot of different things on the show. And I just came off an interview a couple hours ago where I was talking to a guy about the idea of, you know, living in a simulation and punching holes into other worlds and what could come through. Uh, you know, Elon Musk, everybody, you know, most people, unless they're haters, would say that he's a genius. Like he's very intelligent. And he's convinced that we live in a matrix or not a matrix, but a simulation is what he says. And so he if he if he could have one question answered of all the questions he has, it would be what's on the other side of the simulation? When you have one of the smartest guys in our time that we've ever seen saying things like that, it really makes you wonder, you know, what's going on here, you know, because he's not convinced that this yeah. is actually real. Well, and if we were to live in a simulation, um, if you start thinking of things like, I mean, I, th- I think the Matrix deal dealt with this. It's been forever since I've seen those. But, you know, the ghosts and deja vu are little like glitches in code. Um, and the idea that if you if you were in a simulation, somebody who kind of knew how to hack that simulation, would it look any different from magic? 
Um, uh, yeah. You know, would would being being inside the simulation and trying to hack the simulation, would you basically have to perform rituals and things? <laughs> now, this is this is my writer brain talking, of course, um, you know, that uh, I'm not actually saying like, oh, you know, John D., the Queen Elizabeth's uh, court magician was a master hacker. But, you know, <laughs> like, but it is it's fascinating to think about these things because we really there's so little we know about the nature of the world, and the nature of reality. And we're learning more all the time. And sometimes what we learn closes doors, but it opens several more. And who's to say, you know, when I'm an old man and I'm sitting on a, you know, in a rocking chair on my porch telling my grandkids a ghost story that they're going to be like, oh, dad, that granddad, that was just you misinterpreting phasma recollection or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because if you think about it, the future generations, they seem to be getting smarter and smarter at a younger age because they, they have access to technology and things like that that we don't we didn't have growing up. And so I, I totally could see future generations, young kids being like, you're stupid for thinking that, <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. easily explainable. And you get to like a weird area, too. Like I was telling you, my grandmother had just tons of stories. And there's one that always stuck with me where like, I think she was like 14 at the time and she and her sisters were walking home from somewhere. And again, this is like, you know, backwoods Appalachia. This would have been like, I don't know, forties, fifties. And, uh, it's dark and they're walking back from somewhere and they cross over some railroad tracks and they hear somebody following them. And they look back and all they see is like a big shadow. And, uh, you know, this continues and they start to get creeped out because they're young girls and being followed by a guy in the middle of nowhere, who knows if what's going to happen. And then they, uh, they pass under a street light. And when they get far enough ahead of the street light to where the guy should be under the street light, they turn and it's a railroad worker standing there with no head. So they all scream oh. and they take off running and they go, you know, they get home and they run up to the, they shut the gate behind them and they run up to the, the porch and they look in this headless railroad worker standing at the gate. And then he turns around and he walks off and it always creeps me out as a kid. But then I got older and I was like, that's, that's a folk story. <laughs> like, I, think, <laughs> I don't think that happened. I think, I think you heard that. And then you were telling it to us, not intending to lie to us as children, but you were just trying to tell us a scary story, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah. but who knows? I mean, those folk stories have to have a basis in something. So it, again, it's, it's kind of like, it becomes Ouroboros, the snake that eats its own tail. You can go round and round. Well, here's an explanation for that, but here's a doubt. And then here's another explanation and here's a doubt. And you just go round and round being like, I believe, I don't believe. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. I mean, I've talked to so many different types of people uh, through what I do and stuff. And you, you come, basically it boils down to people don't know. They just, they just don't know. And so it's just yeah. up to the interpretation of the person receiving the stories, which I think, I just think that's way, it's a beautiful scenario for me. I mean, I love the fact that every week I put out shows where people are telling their scary stories of what they've been through paranormal wise or whatever. And at the end of the day, when I put that out, it's now out of my hands, it's out of the person telling the story's hands, it's now in the hands of the audience. And each and every single one of those people have to sit there, listen to it and make a decision whether they believe or they don't believe. And either way is fine. It's just, I, I love that. Yeah. I love the environment that what I have with the show offers to people. It's just this really raw, genuine environment where it's just like, here's the story. Now you decide. And I just love that. Uh, it's, it's a very 
kind of cool update to, you know, a long history of oral legends that we have, you know, that now these oral legends can get passed on in the form of a podcast or, you know, a YouTube channel or whatever. And, you know, it, it almost gets to the point where like, whether it really happened or not is moot, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's more about just the person telling it, believe it happened. And, yes. you know, that, that kind of becomes what I'm most interested in. Cause ultimately at the end of the day, if we're all wrong about this, none of this stuff's happening. You know, there's very mundane explanations for every bit of it. What's it hurt? <laughs> you know, if we're not taking it to the degree of say, um, you know, the, the spiritualists in the 1920s who were preying right. on, um, families who were grieving their children lost in, in the war and, you know, swallowing terry cloth to vomit up his ectoplasm and stuff just to fleece these people for money. That's one thing. But a lot of times uh, that's, again, where, you know, I feel like I'm often jerks to skeptics, too, is a lot of times a lot of the skeptics, they just kind of kill joys. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> yeah. like, what's what's it hurt for us to to get together and tell ghost stories? each other you know <laughs> yeah i i agree and what you said just a few seconds ago i 100 percent agree with you and that's what i tell people like when i hang up the phone with somebody and they are done telling their story to me if i walk away from that interview with them saying i believe that they believe what they just told me is what they experienced i'm down for airing that interview because as yeah. somebody who comes to the table with like i said earlier with my own world views how i interpret things and how i share my story is going to be different than other people's and i have to see, see that coming from the person telling the story as well they have their own world views on how uh, of what the, how this world operates and that really does shape and mold how they perceive their experiences and how they relay their experiences and so i can't control that and whether i agree with how they describe their experience to me or not is irrelevant to the fact that they experienced something and what they told me they truly believe and that's how I view things. Yeah, I think that's a great way to view it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. But uh, so uh, I wanted to ask you here, you know, with you being an author, uh, I, I saw on your online and stuff, you actually were in some movies too, right? Yeah, um, I've, uh, so I've kind of, one of the ways I've, I've, you know, made my living as a writer over the past 10 years is I do a lot of uh, uncredited rewrites um, for movies that, nine times out of 10, I'm glad my name isn't on when they're released. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've been pushing really hard to get some more original stuff out. And, um, you know, so I've got a few things out there right now that are picking up steam, um, television show and a couple of other film projects. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when I, when I first moved out here, I, I dabbled in acting. Um, I was in an improv group and then formed a sketch group. And then I moved out here and, you know, had little roles in this, that, or the other. And, um, I don't, I don't know. As I got older, I got more and more antisocial for lack of a better word. I guess <laughs> I'm just an introvert. And so the idea of auditioning and hustling for gigs and even, you know, I was doing stand up for a little while, the idea of being in front of an audience, like none of that just really fulfilled me the same way that it did setting down and creating stories, creating worlds. Um, yeah. that's what really grabbed me. And, you know, it's kind of, kind of a similar thing. Like you talked about 
people calling in and telling these stories. It's like, you know, me setting, sitting down on my computer and creating this stuff my, myself. It's like, I'm having that conversation with myself, um, to really make me sound insane. So you know, I get to, <laughs> I get to experience those things in my head and then tell myself about them and then kind of work through the process that way. And, um, yeah, I just, I, you know, I like it a lot more and it's really thrilling. Um, that's not to say I wouldn't do something in a, you know, act in a, a film or TV show again, if, if something came along that was fun and, you know, I didn't have to go through the horrible hustle actors do. Um, I have so many friends that are actors and it's like, you have to love what you're doing. Yep. Um, to go through that. I mean, you do in any art, you know, it's not like I'm not a millionaire by, by writing, by any means, you know, I still sit down every month and I'm like, Oh God, how am I going to pay rent this month? Uh, (laughs) You know? Uh, so, you know, you have to do that in any art, but like acting is such a, you're always putting yourself out there and then it's like, you're getting rejected when you get rejected for a role. Yeah. Like, you know, if I'm, send a book or a story or a screenplay out and it gets rejected. It hurts. I don't like it. Um, but it's like, well, it's that work and I can go in and fix it and do other things to it and look at it with a critical eye. You know, if an actor goes out on 20 auditions, and they get rejected 20 times like that. That's a blow that beats you up. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's the uh, people making the film saying you're not good enough for what we're doing. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's and, and some of those people have no, um, like no decorum at all. It's, it's not polite. Like I know actors who have been told like, you know, just straight up, like you're too fat for this role. Yeah. Um, and like friends of mine who are not in any way, shape or form fat, like you, you would be like, that is one hot chick right there. <laughs> and, and then, but they go in and it's like, you need to lose about 10 pounds. And it's like, <laughs> what? But forget about the ability. Yeah. And you, yeah, exactly. And you hear that over and over again. It's just got to, it's got to get rough. Yeah. I mean, I, my wife, she, she used to act and she, uh, did a lot of plays. I mean, she's been in over 30 productions and she's lighted, she was the lead in most of them. And, uh, one of her things was she always wanted to kind of get into movies and things like that. But as she got older, it's the same exact thing with you. She just started losing the passion for the hustle and she's, my wife is introverted. So it's the idea of going and, you know, putting yourself out there to be rejected by people you really don't care to have their opinion about your life anyways and all that stuff. It just, yeah. it's just like n- not interested. Um, so I totally I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I don't want to crap all over the film industry and, you know, especially as a, a writer, like, you know, I don't want to, sure. don't want to sound bitter or anything. There are a lot of great people in the film industry, a lot of very smart people in the film industry. And I've been lucky enough to work with some of them, but there are also people who you, whether it's you go into pitch a script or you're going to audition who it's just a job for them. And they actually kind of hate what they're doing. And so they don't like you and they're not very knowledgeable about film and could care less. <laughs> and so you get rejected by those people. It's like, why, why do I even care to listen to your opinion? How did you get that job? (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you a question here. Take me into the mind of Brad, the author, and you're, how do you come up with the idea that you want to write on? How do you develop these ideas? Because I, I imagine, you know, writing, you know, a novel, is it going to come out in one sit down? Like, okay, I know where this is going to go, but it's got to be in pieces, right? 
Yeah, you know, it's really weird. Like I've I've never come up with a stock answer for where stuff comes from because it, it's it's just a host of different things. Like with with books a lot, I might get like a scene in my head uh, with a book or a movie, and it might be a scene like in the middle of it. You know, something creepy or something emotional or something funny, whatever. And then that scene kind of sticks in my head. And then other ideas I have start connecting to that scene until I have enough where, where I'm like, I think I've got a book here, or I think I have a script here. And then I can sit down and start fleshing out around that, trying to figure out, all right, where's, where's the start? Where's it end? What's my story here? What's my theme? Um, sometimes it's a sentence that pops in my head. I get that a lot with short stories. You know, I'll just be like in the shower or something and the opening line pops in my head and I'm like, I want to see where that goes. <laughs> and so, you know, I just sit down and start writing to kind of figure it out for myself. Like sometimes writing is like reading, you know, I, with some projects I sit down and I outline meticulously. And then with other ones, I sit down and I just start writing and I see what pops up and, you know, that's very exciting and thrilling. Also very messy usually requires a lot of uh, rewriting, <laughs> a lot of editing after the fact. But uh, uh, but that's really thrilling, especially when you get something that you really enjoy out of that. Um, again, I've had a lot of luck with short stories in that regard, where I'll just sit down and be like, I don't know what this is. I have this sentence or this image pop in my head. I just want to see where it goes. And you know, then you like what you ended up with, and you actually manage to sell it, and it gets published next to, you know, one of your favorite authors and you're like, Oh wow, this was a thrilling experience. And then the next time you sit down to do it, you're like, Oh, this is crap. <laughs> 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 but there was a, uh, I think it was Harlan Ellison said this. Um, and I'm giving like third hand information. I think I read this on Dan Simmons website, quoting Harlan Ellison, but had this an, uh, analogy of, uh, uh, you have this machine that's covered in like, blinking lights and it's making these like whirring and chirping noises. And that's, that's your core idea. And before you can work on that idea, you have to walk it out to, to the swamp of your subconscious and just kind of toss it in. And it might sit there for months, but as it sets at the bottom of the swamp, creatures start swimming around it and getting stuck to it and, and vines and things grow over it and sludge coats it and and these other things attached to it and then when it's ready to be written about it'll crawl itself out of the swamp to reveal itself to you <laughs> mm. and i've always kind of kind of liked that idea that you know a lot of times things set and percolate for a long time and you know i'll have an idea that i love and i don't know what to do with it and then six years later i'll have a, a second idea and i'm like those two things go together and then boom, now I have a story. <laughs> I find um, that very, I don't know. I find that very inspirational. I don't know if anybody else will and stuff, but for me, cause like I said, in the beginning and stuff, uh, recently I've been thinking about trying, you know, to write something, th write something. Cause I have so many people's experiences that get thrown my way. I have all these different takes on paranormal and horror and scary stuff that people go through. Uh, I I've have thought about trying to write something, uh, you know, that is, you know, along the lines of, you know, fictional scary stories based off of true stories or whatever. And, uh, hearing that kind of the, the process is kind of inspirational. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention that I wanted to bring up is uh are you connected to this uh this i guess it's a novel or something called 18 wheels of horror 
Oh yeah, yeah. I have a story in that. That's what I. That's um, what I thought. Yeah, it's, uh, I've got a. That's a, a anthology put together by uh, Eric Miller, who's a very talented writer himself, um, screenwriter also, um, and he. Uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, he put together a really nice anthology there. It's all trucking related stories. Yeah, and uh, growing up, uh, you know, growing up in the South, um, obviously, like trucking culture, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. is, is bigger there, and especially when I was a kid. And then my my real father, um, long after he finally got out of jail, <laughs> was a uh, uh, drove a truck for a long time. So I heard a, a lot of weird stories about it. So that was a, a kind of a, a fun one to dive into. I, I based it all around the story I have in there, this, um, uh, exit, I would always pass driving down to visit my wife before we got married. Uh, she lived in Birmingham, Alabama. And, uh, along that route, um, just in the middle of nowhere, um, not no lights, no communities, nothing. And then you come across this exit called rising fawn. And there's this massive like truck stop there. So I'd always stop there and get a coffee. And, uh, um, so I, I just kind of wrote this very like twilight zone esque, um, kind of psychological ghostish story <laughs> set around that truck stop. Um, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I actually, I, I come from the trucker lineage. My dad's a trucker. Uh, I'm still currently a full-time trucker. I do the, the show in my off hours, which takes me into the early morning. But <laughs> I mean, I just found it oh, really yeah. interesting. So you know, oh, you yeah. know the story. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, truckers love telling their stories, to be honest with you. And I actually have a show that I'm working on. Uh, it's a slow process because it takes a lot to really put on a good podcast and it's time and energy that I don't have right now. But I do have like the first couple episodes done and the logo done. It's called uh, Hammer, Hammer Lane Legends. And it's going to be a, just a show like the one I have here where it's, but it's truckers coming forward and just sharing their crazy experiences. It could be paranormal related or it could be, you know, I had this one guy come on that I interviewed that he was uh, coming from Canada to Florida and somewhere in Canada, as he's approaching the border, he actually had this car and he noticed the car at first because it was a really nice car come flying up next to him, cut him off, slam on the brakes. The guy gets out of the car on this bridge and just runs off the bridge, just killed himself right in front of the, the trucker. What? Yeah. And so he gets down to the border and he said, you know, there's a guy that just committed suicide off the bridge back there. And they looked at him, they looked at the bridge and they said, all right, we'll take care of it. Like, like it's something that happens all the time. You know? <laughs> 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 so, I mean, tr yeah. truckers have lots of stories, you know, it's a very interesting life that truckers, <laughs> that they'd live, you know, I'm fortunate yeah. that I'm not over the road. I'm home every day. So I don't have to, you know, I get to actually, you know, socialize with my family every day, but the over the road truckers, a lot of them have some crazy stories. And I just wanted to bring that up because I thought you were connected to that series and I just wanted to ask you about it. Um, but, you know, before we get out of here, I want to just kind of bring it back around to some of the things that I want people to check out of yours. And uh, one thing we didn't mention in the beginning is an actual, an actual. Uh, I guess you, you described it as a low budget horror comedy that, you, that people can stream, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, called, um, well, it was originally George's Intervention. The distributor renamed it George a Zombie Intervention. So you know exactly what you're getting when you come in. But uh, yeah, that was our, our first feature, ultra low budget. We had no money to put into it. We were lucky enough to 
It gets some great, great cast members. It's got some fun cameos uh, in it. Um, like Brink Stevens, Lloyd Kaufman from Troma fame um, is in it. So, you know, it's just a, a fun little movie. If you're into uh, low budget horror comedies, um, that's when I check out. <laughs> um, I have, uh, I do, I do a lot of voice work in it. I, I, I never appear on screen, but um, uh, I voice, like we have a little kind of cartoon at the beginning that explains the zombie world and our rules for zombies and stuff. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was probably, maybe we do that maybe 12 years ago that we actually shot it. Um, I think, uh, it originally came out on DVD 2009 or 2010 recently had a Blu-ray release and, um, and yeah, it's now up on uh, Amazon prime video. So, um, uh, you know, it's like I said, it's it's a fun little film. Don't don't expect um, don't expect a big big budget or anything. <laughs> by well, any means. I mean, I know but. all about I know all about the low budget stuff with my wife. I mean, I actually had uh, a group of people come out to my house one night, and they filmed almost an entire, I guess it was a short film overnight at my house and my wife was in it and stuff. That's why I let them do it. But I mean, they used my house for free, you know, and, and I was up all night and I had to work the next day and all that stuff. But, you know, low budget films, <laughs> there's there's art though behind that, you know, the, the low budget aspect of things because you don't have a huge budget to do all the special effects and things like that. So you have to get creative with how you go about doing things. And uh, I find it interesting, but I, I think everybody should definitely check out Darling for sure. I mean, that's, that's on Audible, right? For audio, audiobooks as well? Yeah. Yeah. The audiobook um, came out uh, last, well, around last Halloween. Um, so that's on Audible. Uh, unfortunately, since I originally wrote the book, that's become a very popular title for whatever reason. Really? I was a little bit ahead of the curve there. So uh, make sure when you go on Audible, you look that up uh, with my name. Um, and uh, and that'll come up. And, uh, uh, you know, the the company that did the audiobook did a fantastic job. Um, the narrator has a brings a lot of gravitas to it. Uh, and I think it's it's a fun um, fun experience, especially for, you know, October, Halloween, fall, if you're stuck in a truck, you're driving around, visiting family, whatever. Um, that's I've, I've fallen in love with audible just for being in the car. I get so much more reading done that way. So, um, yeah, yeah. Folks should definitely check it out and, you know, if they like it, leave a review. If you don't, I guess you can too. (laughs) We we highly discourage um, negative reviews around here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh and also in october we have uh we're carrying god's dance coming out right do you know when that's coming out uh it'll be mid-october i don't don't have an exact date but um you can follow me on twitter or facebook or uh check out my website which i haven't updated in ages but i'm gonna jump back into it uh for this book brad-hodson.com uh that's h-o-d-s-o-n uh but yeah we're carrying god's dance uh, should be available for pre-order on Amazon, I uh, believe, starting next week. Uh, but it's a collection of 18 short stories. They all very much um, fit into a uh, Halloween atmosphere. Not just being horror stories, but there's a specific, you know, obviously from our conversation, I tend to write things that are more ghost story related. Um, 
creepy atmosphere. Even when they're not ghost stories, they they have a very, you know, leaves have changed color, crunching beneath your feet, cool wind. I found a a an abandoned building nobody's been in for twenty years kind of feel. Yeah. Well that's so, awesome. Uh, it's perfect for the month of October and Halloween and things like that. And uh, everybody that's listening, that if you go and get any of his content, uh, shoot him an email and let him know how much you enjoyed it and let him know that you heard about him from the confessionals. Brad, I appreciate you being here, man. Yeah, I had a blast. Um, definitely definitely enjoyed, uh, enjoyed you interviewing me today. And hey, if you ever want to talk in the future, I'm, I've got a few other stories I didn't even touch upon today. So. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I think we'll we'll definitely be in touch, man. Great. I look forward to it. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, email, bulletin boards, word of mouth. I don't care how you share the show, but if you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends because that is the best thing you can do to help support the show on a weekly basis. And I want to let everybody know, I'm thinking about dabbling with the video side of things for the YouTube channel. If I have somebody that actually wants to be on video during the interview, maybe I might start filming the interviews and putting them up on YouTube. But with that, I was thinking it'd be really cool if I could help support the people who listen to the show. So if you are a business owner or you are a content creator, if you have merch and you would like to have your merch represented in my videos, go ahead and reach out to me. Let me know if you have a t-shirt that you'd like for me to wear during the interviews, and I'd be happy to represent my listeners. And that's my way of helping to support the people who listen to my show. So thank you very much for listening to the show and supporting the show the way you guys do. I greatly appreciate it. And until next week, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. One night only in limited engagement. So stomp your feet and clap your hands for Skeleton Sam and his graveyard. Family. I was just a little ghoul when I heard his name. He's the graveyard legend of the dancing game. Rumor has it he invented how to knock him dead. He's the reason that we all say break a leg.
Kannst du irgendwie filmen?